Hi everyone, this is Dave Wright and welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. I hope you're having a top week out on the grass with your team. As always, before we kick off today's podcast, a very quick review of the latest content to come out on playerdevelopmentproject.com over the last week or two. Now recently we published a fantastic masterclass discussion with Head of Analysis and Data at Birmingham City Football Club, Danny Barham. Danny joined myself and PDP Technical Advisor Dan Wright for a fantastic discussion on the benefits of video analysis, how to individualize this tool for players, and what grassroots clubs can do to implement some video for your players. We've also published a brand new video session plan called the Transition Game. This is an adaptable practice designed to focus on attacking transition with lots of repetition on forward runs and forward passes. Our latest piece of content is a brand new Q&A discussion, and that is today's podcast. Dan and I tackle a PDP community question on the pros and cons of having a season-long plan. Dan and I talk about the balance of a program versus a flexible framework and the player being at the center of session design. We hope you enjoyed the discussion, and if you have thoughts on this, feel free to send us a message via Facebook or Twitter with your views. Look out for more great content on the site next week. We've got a huge amount of great coaching resources coming out before Christmas on the website to support you, and we're also working on some great new changes for members. As always, a reminder, if you haven't signed up to become a PDP member, we've got monthly, annual, or club membership options available at playerdevelopmentproject.com, so you can sign up and access all of our top coaching content, including the new PDP Slack community. Finally, if you get a chance, leave us a review for today's podcast, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi everyone, my name's Dave Wright, and welcome to another Player Development Project Q&A. Once again, I'm delighted to be joined by PDP Technical Advisor and Academy Coach Dan Wright. Dan, how are you this week? I'm very well, thank you, mate. What's new with you? Oh, plenty of coaching coming to the end of the season here uh, in Melbourne, Australia, which is great. Um, it's been a long season, but some really good outcomes and really enjoyed working with the players. So it's been a good one. How about you? Yeah, it's been a busy week. Um, so kind of the season's in full flow now in the UK. So more games and uh, all the good stuff is starting to happen every single week. So yeah, we're, we're enjoying it over here. Nice work, nice work. Well, look, we've got a really interesting question and it's come from Richard, who's a PDP member. He's asked the question via the Player Development Project Slack community, which is where members share ideas and questions. And it's a really short and sweet question. Should you have a season long plan? Now, to give a little bit of context, Richard's working with under 12 and 13 players going into their under 14 year. He said he's going to focus this year on phases of play, small-sided games, positional games, and rondos as kind of the main framework. But he also shared an example within the Slack community of his program from last year and some of the ideas he's used. So, Dan, what are your first thoughts on this one? Because it's a fascinating topic. Yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm not completely sure. I think this is going to be a yes and a no. So there's, there's, there's obvious benefits of having... Um, every single session planned out for your full program, whatever that is, nine, 10, 11 months. But then I suppose you need parts of that program to be flexible. So we're just going to kind of uh, bounce around a few ideas of, of perhaps how we can sit on the fence with a yes and a no answer, I guess. Mm, yeah, it is interesting. I think if you'd asked me two or three years ago when I was sort of more immersed in the week to week of academy football in the UK and where club curriculums and programs were fairly commonplace and I believe still are, I would have said that it's essential to have a program and a curriculum and that kind of planning phase, perhaps because that sort of um, resonates with me from a coaching perspective. But 
obviously having spoken to a lot of people through the PDP and various experts we've interviewed, I, I sort of come to be a little bit more relaxed about that. And I think we need to be fluid in it. So why don't we start with an idea that Ben Bartlett put across in the masterclass discussion we did with him a while ago. And I know that really stuck with you. Yeah. yeah but um, you've just given an insight to your personality there because you do like, <laughs> You do like order and structure and uh, colorful, spread, colorful spreadsheets. So that's, that's probably why you thought it was essential. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so when we were uh, speaking to Ben Bartlett on the Masterclass discussion, he, he probably talked about um, why curriculums or syllabuses exist. And um, I suppose it's that uh, maybe logical or traditional approach that if you learn A, you can learn B, and then you can move on to C, and that learning happens in that order. Yeah. Um, so I often refer to it as like in the UK, we have um, reading levels. So once you get to reading level 10, you can move to 11 and 12. And I think essentially uh, sport doesn't happen like that. Um, learning probably doesn't happen like that, but but any kind of movement um, is, is not, not linear, and different people are going to learn at different rates and learn different parts uh, of this beautiful game at different times. So I think that is... Um, probably a rabbit hole that people need to go down that kind of non-linear approach and um, and what learning looks like for the for these young people that we work with. Yeah, I think it's certainly a reflection of traditional education. And I think uh, Mark Upton's put some great articles on the Player Development Project website through various blogs over the years around systems. And I guess uh, the reflection of the Industrial Revolution, you know, classrooms were set up in lines to produce workers. The education system was designed when the Industrial Revolution happened to produce workers. And it could be argued that in 2019, perhaps it's not as relevant given the diversity of opportunities in the world and the different fields that emerge. You know, you can go to university five years ago and suddenly in five years time, there's a job that exists now that didn't exist then. So it's really interesting to sort of look at how curriculums and linear education models reflect tradition. I think that's got to be acknowledged. We've also touched on, I guess, in previous conversations and again, citing various experts around having some principles. Now, a lot of clubs work to a principled approach. What are your sort of thoughts around that? Yeah, I find this a lot easier than, than maybe a whole kind of season plan. So um, if we took some of the most successful teams, if we talk about a Man City or a, or a Barcelona, there are obvious principles to how they play football. So um, building out from the goalkeeper or building from the back would be one, um, how they regain the ball. So whether, you know, whether they press from the front, whether that's a five-yard fury, whatever different people, whatever titles they want to use on it. But having those principles of, of play or principles of how we want to play, I mm -hmm. think means that as you kind of move up and down that, that pyramidal spectrum, it helps inform um, practice design. It helps inform perhaps where we'd focus on, on technical aspects. It might even inform which players we kind of look to recruit or ID. So if you had really clear principles of, of who we are and how we want to play, then I think it can help inform you know, what you might plan week to week or, or as Richard suggests, kind of over the whole season. Yeah, I think it also gives you that fluidity to adapt on on where the players' needs are, perhaps individually, or where the team's needs are collectively. So by taking those principles, you're inherently going to have, uh, I guess, a, a games-based approach, or I guess representative design is going to be a big part of what your training sessions are going to look like. And if you're working on playing out from the back, then there may be an opportunity if your team likes to press high to work on that at the same time. So you can obviously work within units and, and work with individuals who might be affected. So with one comes the opportunity to work on another. Now, again, from the, 
if we look at the coaching spectrum, there's different ways to break that down. Maybe you need to um, go towards the sort of more isolated end of the spectrum and work on getting some repetition and sacrificing some realism to get those principles out before you introduce certain levels of opposition. But then others may argue that the decision-making element should always be there. And I'd probably lean to that idea, but I think there are moments when you can go back down the spectrum and get that repetition. So having those principles can give you a lot more flexibility, in my opinion, and I think then leads to those game realistic uh, scenarios at training. Mm. And so, uh, again, talking about kind of um, session design, we, we, we could talk about um, if your session looks like football, then you should be able to cover more than one topical theme. So mm. the idea of kind of working in um, defending as an individual, defending in a pair, defending in a unit, and then defending as a team or, or however kind of that framework works in your mind. Well, if you're coaching that, then somebody's got to attack. Yep. And so you're, you're always coaching the game. And then, you know, we've talked about this before with Q&As, but how you kind of co-coach and how you, um, how you work with a, with a fellow assistant or, or another person on the field. And Aaron Dank spoke about this in his, his recent masterclass and that, you know, I don't think you ever, I don't think you ever master the co-coaching because you've got to be living in each other's heads. But, but that idea that you wouldn't be just coaching defense because the best way to coach defense is to coach attack and vice versa. If you want, if you want your, players to be brilliant in 1v1 um, defensive moments and you need somebody to test them to be you know to, to make them better and to do that you have to coach attack so I, 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 that's where I kind of struggle with the idea of having a theme and moving from a theme every single week because if you're the best dribbler in the group Dave we want to make get you lots of um, opportunities to perform that and repetitions mm. to get better at that and hopefully by default I'm going to get better at defending against Dave because he's a really good player mm. so it, there's some clubs that I've seen work with um maybe a, a syllabus where they work with in and out of possession at the same time, which is yep. another kind of interesting, um, interesting model because there'd always be those moments of the game almost in conflict and arguing with each other. Yeah, I think that's, that's an idea that I really like is working to the moments in the game. So if you were to say that, you know, one week we're going to work on transition or maybe for a fortnight we're going to work on transition, the next fortnight we're going to work on creating and converting in the final third and then maybe it's a defending topic the following two weeks, Within that, there's so many opportunities to be fluid. And that doesn't mean that we're just working on defending without the other elements. Obviously, we need them. So I think that can be a nice way to look at it and say, okay, I want to take some overarching principles around how we play, what we define the moments of the game as. And some may simply say, we've got the ball, we don't have the ball, and there's transition. Then you might dig deeper and go into attacking or defensive transition, obviously. And then within the possession or out of possession moments, they're going to be in different areas. So you can dive into more detail across those periods of time that you decide to allocate. And th those are programs that I've been involved in where I think, yeah, this, this is good because it's giving the players a theme and a focus. Again, it can be debated. There's lots of opinions around this. I also like a, a sort of quote, and it's a rough quote off the top of my head, but from Dan Machichi, uh, who was obviously the former England under-16 manager, now working up there at Arsenal, I believe, with the under-15s at the moment. And when we interviewed Dan a couple of years ago for PDP Magazine, um, he talked about how now with the, or at the time, the, the development in his own coaching, he would struggle to write an, a curriculum for under 12 players because of the individual nature of what he'd done. Again, the, the stories uh, in those particular articles sort of speak a lot about the work he'd done with Dele Ali and his journey through the, the MK Dons Academy. So again, you, you're looking at a coach who's operated at a very high level across various age groups and is, is known as a very good practitioner in youth development sitting there candidly and, and, and showing some vulnerability going, I'm not sure I could write a program because of the, the difference and in the individual nature of youth development. And I think that's a great way to look at it is, and his term again, to, to steal that from him is a flexible framework. 
and having some kind of framework where you can be very fluid and adapt based on the players' needs or the team's needs within that. So that, those sort of um, articles I'd recommend people check out in issue 10 and 11 of PDP magazine. Yeah, and then to make this even more complex, you, you need um, some kind of wriggle room in that syllabus or curriculum or framework or whatever we're going to call it um, to, to be reactive to, to what the kids need. Mm. So um, you know, a simple example would be if we're working, um, if, if the curriculum says or the syllabus says we've got to work on finishing, um, but we're already scoring tons of goals, but we're also letting in more than the other end, then it might make sense to shine a light on some defensive stuff. So um, I probably wouldn't encourage an approach where we're reacting to, to what happened on Sunday every single week. So if on Sunday was was dreadful at this, we then work it on Tuesday because um, that's a bit boring and, it, and, you, and you'll miss stuff. Like you you won't have the structure to help the kids. But if you're lucky to see your, your, your players three or four times a week, it might be worth giving one of those sessions or half of that session to this is what we struggled with in the game. Um, and, and again, we can move up and down that coaching spectrum, whether you're, whether you're giving answers or whether you're repainting and, and trialing an area and pushing people to, to or nudging people towards uh, some of the answers of, of, of what they needed to do better. Mm. But um, yeah, that, that, that kind of balance of planning everything like Dave Wright likes to do versus, <laughs> versus being, being reactive to, to what the kids need or what, what the game was asking them to do, I suppose. Yeah, look, I am getting better, Dan. I promise I am getting a little bit more relaxed. But uh, but yeah, it's certainly interesting. Now, let, let's talk about the concept of chaos because I think if we talk about traditional systems, we talk about education, we talk about curriculums and programs, there's a lot of order there. And uh, again, to cite another top PDP contributor and top coach who we've both been lucky enough to work with, Stu English, wrote an article uh, in issue seven of the magazine called Embracing the Chaos, spoke in his masterclass discussion, uh, sharing some insights around the Birmingham City program around the importance of strengths-based coaching. And this is something that personally I do advocate for. And I was actually lucky enough to see a professional AFL player here in Australia speak recently about his transition uh, late as a as very uh, interesting in terms of specialization because he transitioned late from basketball into Australian rules. And he spoke about a very coach-led, structured uh, coaching style in basketball. And when he moved over to AFL and he was scouted as a very young and tall player with certain attributes that were required for the game, they said to him, we accept that you're not going to be good at X, Y, and Z, but we really love what your strength is here. So we're just going to work with you on your strengths. Now, again, we've talked about this in, in, in the past across various formats of PDP content in terms of embracing that strength-based approach. And again, Stu English is one of the top developers in the UK at doing it, but hearing this player talk about his personal experience and how important it was to have coaches backing his strengths and saying, we're going to work on the rest while you focus on your strengths was really interesting. Where does that kind of chaos and strengths-based piece sit in your opinion? Yeah, it's a, it's another kind of um, grenade to throw into this, <laughs> this complex plan, isn't it? Because uh, if you were using um I suppose uh, an, an idea, an, an idea of using a syllabus or using even an individual plan where you'd want to get everyone to be an eight or a nine out of ten at everything. Then, if you had a player like Messi, you would work on his um, recovery runs, you'd work on his defensive heading, you'd work <laughs> on his uh, defending one v one. How does he get connected with his teammates when he loses the ball? You'd work on all that stuff that probably isn't why he's in the team. Mm -hmm. So Stu often talks about that we we identify these players or we get players into the building based on. Uh, one or two outstanding attributes or one or two things they do very well different people call them different things so uh, super strengths or signature strengths or and and we can often forget why they you know why they started playing football or what they're good at and and we've got to we've got to 
constantly keep checking that. Um, so yes, we want players to get better at everything, and that's part of our job. But it's unrealistic to expect um, every player to be nine out of ten at everything. So it, it would be better in terms of a performance outcome, but it'd be better also from a enjoyment and participant uh, participation outcome if kids got better at the thing they love doing or they got better at the thing that helps them get success. Mm. So we've got to keep kind of checking ourselves and make sure sure we're doing that. And then the chaos thing, I suppose, is probably more for coaches than for players. I don't think players find it that chaotic. I think players <laughs> that they enjoy the chaos, and it's only probably us with our our lines and cones and OCD, most, most coaches have some sort of coaching OCD that find it chaotic. I, I, when you talk to players, they will play without bibs. They'll play with you know une, uneven teams. They'll play on a triangle pitch. They'll play without lines. They'll play with goals that are made from trees or jumpers. Like The, the, the um, perception of chaos, I think, is firmly from the coach's lens rather than the yeah. players, in my opinion. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think as adults, we do have to get over that a little bit. And um, at times it can be one of those things where we feel like if we're putting on a perfectly ordered and structured session, then maybe the parents watching or the people around us are thinking, well, that's a really good coaching session when in fact, perhaps it's too coach centric as opposed to player centered. But one area I want to touch on, which I know has come up in different programs is the idea of rest weeks or even tournament weeks where perhaps during the season, there might be different moments where the focus shifts. And obviously in the UK at the end of the season, there tends to be a lot of tournaments and tours, particularly in academy football and within grassroots, obviously there's different tournaments, but if we're planning our season, I think there is a moment to perhaps shift tack a little bit in terms of um, what we focus on. Do, do those kind of moments throughout the year have some kind of bearing on how you may plan? Yeah, I think these are maybe the, the positives or the benefits of planning because it's mm -hmm. difficult to do that and say, oh, tomorrow we need to do a tournament week. So if you can sit down in pre-season, which would be July here, I guess, in the UK and say, you know, every six weeks or every 10 weeks, we're going to give the kids a week off or we're going to take them and do a social activity or we're going to take them and do, you know, a different sport to, to push them out of the comfort zone or we're going to coach them differently. It might be that you, you switch the kind of um, psychological focus and, uh, and maybe you're a mean coach for a session or maybe you're a difficult coach or maybe you're a coach that doesn't give answers and you're only a co coach that gives questions or maybe you're a coach that doesn't talk for a week or, or a session. <laughs> like there, might, there might be ways to periodize that, which I think is, is, is useful. I would just be, uh, yeah, going back to the start, I'd be, be mindful of not uh, over planning every kind of technical and tactical outcome because you need that that wriggle room. But um, that is the benefit of, of planning, that, that the fact that you might build in tournaments, rest weeks, something for the kids socially, something for multi-sports, something for the parents. Mm. Um, all, all that kind of stuff does probably need planning, which is where I need your help. Um, <laughs> Because I would be, we're doing it tomorrow, and you're, you'd be <laughs> six months' time. We need to do this, so yeah, yeah. you've you, you got to play to your strengths as well as those, I suppose, as a coach. I think, I think the planning thing again. There are some real world challenges for coaches in grassroots environments, in the sense that we spent the day, for example, to take the opposite end of the spectrum to start with in this this particular point. But we spent the day at Liverpool with McBeal when he was there coaching with the twenty ones, and we were lucky enough to sit down with him when he presented his session plan before he went down. And this is a guy who's obviously in a full-time environment who has the time each day to plan that session, probably with plenty of ideas in mind well in advance, but on the day you can obviously adapt to the players coming and going or the players that are injured. Now, a lot of real-world coaches working in grassroots are turning up. They're perhaps working full-time jobs during the day. They're turning up. They've got to put on a practice. And I spoke to a grassroots coach recently who said that they, they love to sort of access session plans and access some advice around key things to work on. And it might be that I've got 10 minutes in the car before I get out after going to work to go and plan that session. So as much as there may be um, 
technical directors who are planning seasons or there might be head coaches who are full-time and planning seasons or perhaps have more time sometimes it's important just to have some ideas in your mind and I think if you're in that situation where you've got very very limited planning time then your framework does need to be flexible you know you really need to have that fluidity to adapt potentially react to what happened on the weekend or potentially take a theme in your mind for a couple of weeks and say right we're going to focus on this and when I get there for my 10 or 15 minutes of planning time I'm just going to make sure it's on theme and that might be just using constraints-based games. It might be using, you know, um, smaller practices or positional games to get outcomes. Um, so I think that's, that's a real world problem where sometimes we can forget that a lot of people working full time in the game have the luxury of that planning opportunity, whereas others don't if they're working at the, the cold face of grassroots football where most people are. Yeah. And then, and then it's, it's probably a separate Q and a, but like how many different sessions are there? So yeah. if you have, if, if you've got some, sessions that look like the game that have those moments of the game or whatever we're going to call it principles of play um then you probably end up getting 25 to 30 stock sessions yep. and then the skill of the coach would just be to shine a light on different individuals or shine a light on different aspects of that practice so you could be doing a a small sided game or a constraint game and it could be um one week you focus on the transition and then the next week you focus on the combination play, but the practice looks the same to the players mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be a small set of game. It could be a possession practice. It could be a two V two. If you, if you did, you know, we've talked about this recently. If you did a two V two practice um, inside the penalty box or using two penalty boxes, that would be brilliant for goalkeepers. It'd be brilliant for attackers finishing as an individual combining to finish. It'd be good for defenders, emergency defending, blocking, um, you know, that kind of putting your body on the line. So you're doing mm -hmm. the same practice or in the, in the player's mind, the same practice, but then our coaching eye is probably trained yeah. to different things. So if you haven't got five hours to plan a session, we're doing what we did last week, but actually I'm now going to look at this part of it. Mm. And I think the players, the players get more comfortable with that. So yeah, maybe a Q and a for another day, but how many sessions are there really? And then I suppose it's just kind of nuances within that session um, or different uh, ways. to yeah. take a session. I think that's a fantastic point. And I think going back to the sort of B license and a license experience where bottom line is you might get given 16 or 18 players and half a field or th two thirds of a pitch and a topic. Now people, you know, whatever their thoughts on coach education around coaching a topic with players you don't know, that that's sometimes an artificial environment. But you could do with 16 players, it could be a 9v7 working on switching play. And you're going to give the nine who are attacking more success and then maybe you switch it to an 8v8 phase of play or however you manipulate it. But within that, you've got a football pitch, you've got two teams, whether they're balanced or out of balance, and you've got a topic. The next week, as you're suggesting, it could be combination play in the final third, but still using the same framework. So I think that point is really valuable for coaches around don't overcomplicate your, your session design. Again, work to a theme or work to an idea perhaps within the game. And the geography is going to look like what the players might experience on game day. And therefore, you've got some realism. Dan, the last point that we sort of had to discuss was around, obviously, we've done a lot of our education through the FA. And, and traditionally, they've had some great principles um, in terms of the moments of the game. And again, they're subjective based on the club or area that you're working in. And also they had some technical principles, which I think are a nice way to sort of finish in terms of things that you could be looking for and working on based on the age and stage of your players. So do you want to sort of reel through some of those? Yeah, I think this is, uh, like you said, we're taken from the, the England DNA here, which you know people can jump online and have a look, but it might um, make our conversation make a bit more sense. So in terms of <laughs> principles of play, this, is, this should be true in most practices, and this is how um, the, the game is played. So in terms of in possession or attacking, it's penetration, creating space, movement, support, creativity, and then out of possession, it's press, 
delay or press and delay or depending that's a, a whole separate conversation camper and balance compactness and then con- control and, and restraint and again you could change this language to suit your yeah. players um, different coaches would move these priorities up and down um, depending on, on what's important to them and then perhaps something we haven't talked about is is kind of the technical component so in possession that might be stuff like passing and receiving turning dribbling finishing and then out of possession intercepting uh, pressing marking and covering and there's probably a, a whole ton more but if you if you spent more time planning what those are or what those look like for your team or what those look like for your age players then the sessions would probably be a lot easier mm. um so yeah maybe, maybe going back to principles of play or the, or the tech the technical um, components or aspects that you want these under 12s that you're working with to get exposed to or opportunity to practice mm. is probably is probably more important than planning 49 weeks of the year um, so it's kind of start with what do we want it to look like at the end um, what's important to how we play and then yeah how, how will that guide how I plan on a Tuesday night when I've got 15 minutes to, to, to smash it together yeah, I think the last point from my perspective is perhaps given the age of the players, obviously they're going into under 14, that might be during that youth phase where you start introducing some more tactical concepts. But if you're tuning into this and you're thinking, well, I work with under eights and nines, well, your principles might be more technically based and using some of those ideas that you just mentioned because we want players to spend time on the ball, mastering the ball, getting confident on the ball and perhaps working in 2v2s, 3v3s, 4v4s um, and lots of 1v1 work as well in there. But those smaller scenarios where they get more contacts on the ball and, and get to really enjoy time on the ball and get exposed to that. So your principles may vary based on the age of the players indeed. But uh, Dan, some really interesting thoughts. Any sort of final thoughts or final advice for Richard and anyone else listening to this around this question yeah i think if you are going to keep that that um long plan and if it's in that colorful spreadsheet that you like dave it help it to inform next times next times or next year's practice so don't just do it and then look at it once or twice and then chuck it in the bin it should be like an involving and moving document so that when you sit down next july say we didn't get enough chance to practice whatever it is well we didn't give the kids didn't get enough exposure to tournaments or do you know what we didn't give them a weekend where they got to be with their mates because you know they had a whole season where they were doing football and then they had the whole time where they they were um in schools for getting up at stupid times so you might plan in uh, two weeks a year where the kids don't do anything and they have a t- chance to go and uh, play Fortnite or, or go down <laughs> skate park or, or whatever 12, 13-year-old kids tend to do. Again, yeah. another separate Q&A for another day. But you, use that document to inform what you're going to do next time, whether that's next month or next year, uh, to hopefully get better year on year. Definitely. Well, Dan, it's a really interesting topic, as we said at the top of the conversation. Really appreciate your time and sharing some ideas. No, I enjoyed it. It's, a, it's a, another good one where the answer is yes and no, I think. <laughs> well, hopefully we've helped, Richard, and uh, do hope you've enjoyed the conversation. We will look forward to another Player Development Project Q&A very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.